Okay, so today's daf is Lamed. We're in the middle of a very uh, explication of a very rich Mishnah. Uh, we've just dealt with the parental obligations to children, which basically, as the Gemara says, are fatherly obligations to the son. And we've done the mitzvahs of Brismila, Pidyan Haben, and Talmud Torah. Um, and we're going to be continuing today, particularly with a focus in um, Talmud Torah, but moving on to uh, other issues as well. So let's take a look at the Gemara says on Rancha. And we are up to Tanu uh, Rabbanan. It is about 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 lines down in the wide lines. Last word on the rhyme near an asterisk. Tanu Rabbanan. Let's say it is between learning Torah and getting married. Now, now we're no longer about the parental obligation. Uh, we're just about questions of priority, similar to the way we raised the question about are you poday yourself first or your son first? Do you teach yourself Torah first or your son Torah first? Do you first Olel Rego or you first Pidyan Aben? So here's the question about marriage versus Talmud Torah. Okay, so learning Torah and getting married. And actually, interestingly, next on the mission is the obligation is to marry off your, your sons. But okay, but between those two you have to choose what am I going to do you know as a young man should I prioritize getting married or should I prioritize learning Torah so first learn Torah and then get married okay presumably because once you get married as the Gemara is going to say you're going to have a lot of other obligations and you won't have your time and efforts being able to focus on your Torah learning but if it is not possible to you, to you, you to live without a, without a wife meaning again obviously the Gemara is always speaking Torah totally to men. Um, so, you know, you could sort of say, you know, you just need the companionship, you know, or for, and for emotional reasons, but as we're going to see clearly also, the Gemara is going to talk about its concern about sexual thoughts. Not necessarily clear that that's what it's referring to here. Anyway, if for whatever reason a man feels that he needs to get married, fine, then it's not a strict hierarchy. Um, if you need to, you can get married first, but ideally you should first spend your time learning because uh, that will allow you to focus your energies. Now, it also should be mentioned is that obviously implicit in this statement is the sense of an ongoing responsibility to learn um, and you know the Gemara said before a very strange statement that your father is obligated to teach the son if the father didn't teach the son then the son has to teach himself which indicates not this lifelong obligation of Talmud Torah indicates like a certain amount of a foundational education right and now but of course we know that the whole ethos of the rabbis is like you know you should always be learning Torah actually a passage that has not been quoted until now right so that's teaching children but then it's you speak about that right? the constant learning of Torah so that hasn't really been fully explicated halachically you know the nature of that obligation as opposed to the nature of the parental obligation to educate but clearly that's assumed here you should be learning as much as possible growing as much as possible in your Torah so that should come first but if for either because of sexual thoughts or other reasons you need to get married first then okay you can get married first if you have to do that for you if you have to do that then you do that um, yes Charlie well today is a third reason which is the father-in-law who pays the expenses while the uh, son-in-law is the Torah alright there you go that could be a reason why you need to get married in order to learn Torah <laughs> okay so right so the Gemara says like this um, now I'm going to have you Rabbi Shmuel Halacha with Halacha is no se'ili shavachach Torah opposite of what the Gemara said before opposite of the Brita he's saying no actually first get married and then learn Torah so it's interesting how is Shemuel passing against the Brita well I'll discuss that in a minute Rabbi Yochanan goes back to 
the bright and he says, Rechayim of Yasuk Torah. You have a millstone around your neck and you think you can learn Torah? Once you have the weight of the old Parnassah, right, the yoke of uh, family responsibilities and making a living, when is it going to be your time to learn Torah? So therefore, clearly, no, you have to prioritize Torah first, marriage later. The low plea, and they don't really debate, Halon Valahu, that's for them, this is for us. Now, Rashi says, and Rashi is no question pshat, that Halon is Rabbi Yochanan is talking to Bnei Eretz Yisrael, and he says you learn, you, you, uh, learn Torah first, and Shmuel is talking to Bnei Bavel, and he says you get married first. What's the difference? The difference is it's clear from many Gemaras that the, in Bavel, they would leave home and to go to, and go to Eretz Yisrael to study Torah. And basically, actually, they would leave home and they would not attend to their, to their you know, uh, obligations to their wives and children. If people remember the beginning of Gittim, which we learned not so long ago, right, it tells the story that, uh, who was it? It was a Re- Rebbe Avo, or uh, not Rebbe Avo, um, Rebbe, uh, Rebbe, Rebbe Vyasa, mm-hmm. wrote to, uh, who was in Eretz Yisrael, wrote to people who were living in Bavel, who said, those people that leave Bavel and come here to learn Torah, they're fulfilling the verse, Vayitnu I think is that the pasuk. They basically turn their kids out for uh, prostitution because they're abandoning their family. And how is their family now supposed to support themselves? And there's a lot of evidence about this in Bavel. And in general, what it's also related to, very relevant to kedushin. Although these gemaras I'm about to refer to come up in, uh, in I think Tivamos, not in kedushin, is how the gemara describes what the value of marriage is. And a lot of the Bavel sources describe that the value of marriage is that it protects the husband from sin, from Avera, it, it, allows, the, it allows the husband to learn Torah, it provides a wall, it provides, you know, the wife sort of takes care of the domestic responsibilities, so the man is free to learn Torah, whereas in Eretz Yisrael, the, val, val, the value of marriage is described in much more intrinsic value, like, you know, a person without, who's not married, obviously, again, still talking about the man, is without simcha, is without shalom, he's not complete, you know, in much more sense of intrinsic value. And some of that might have to deal with the fact that Bavel, influenced by the larger Sassanian sort of cu- culture, right, or still following in the biblical model, still had uh, polygamy. Whereas Eretz Yisrael at that time, following the Roman model, um, you know, in, by, by the surrounding Roman culture, basically only had monogamy. Um, which is why in the end, you know, Bavel, the Bavel culture went to Sfarad, and Sfarad also Muslims, you know, within the Muslim land, and that continued with polygamy. Whereas Eretz Yisrael went into Ashkenaz and continued from Roman to Christian lands, and that and that was monogamy, and that has a lot to do with, um, and that's clearly evidence in other places that the, the Rishalmi pretty much assumes monogamy, and the Bavli assumes polygamy. Anyway, that has to do to some degree with how you think about marriage. If marriage is only between one man and one woman, you think about it much more in terms of like a partnership and not a um, not in utilitarian types of ways, right? But if you have a model of marriage now, very few people I don't know, like it was only the wealthy men in society usually that had more than one wife but nevertheless the way marriage is thought of in, an, in where polygamy is present right is much more like it's not a partnership man and wife it's like I have I have a wife but like it's more like as a member of my household because I don't even only have one wife right and therefore that shifts an attitude so it does seem that in Bavet Eretz there's a much greater sense of you're married 
Those, now that's your primary responsibility. You don't shirk those responsibilities for anything else. Torah comes after you first take care of your primary responsibility to your wife and your kids. Whereas in Bavel, the attitude was, no, I'm married, and uh, but to- to- Torah trumps. I'm going to leave my wife and kids, and I'm going to go learn Torah. Okay? And therefore, in, in Eretz Yisrael, since once you get married, that has to be priority number one, the answer was, you better learn your Torah before you get married. Because once you get married, Lechayim B'Tzavar of Yasek once you get married, that's your primary responsibility. So therefore, don't get married until you've achieved a significant level of Talmud Torah. Whereas in Bavel, it was like, okay, so I'll get married now, and then I'll still go ahead and learn Torah. Why not get married first? Okay, and that's the way Rashi explains it. Um, and, you know, by getting married first, you're able to have an outlet for your sexual, you know, needs and so on. And so you get married, you take care of that, but nevertheless, you go ahead and you still leave your wife and you spend a lot of time learning Torah. So that's how Rashi explains it, and that seems totally shot. Tosvos just is too uh, um, scandalized by that idea that the Bavli would seem to endorse and abandoning your wife and kids and endorse the ability for you to not prioritize your, you know, your, your, your obligations to your, um, you know, to your family. So Tosvos has a complicated way of rereading the Gemara. But it seems like Rashi is like definitely the pshat. So it really becomes quite an interesting issue of which comes first because the question ultimately becomes, you know, on one hand, recognizing the human uh, need to be married and particularly, as we're going to see in a minute, the issue about sexual thoughts and the Gemara wanting to address that from a religious perspective. And on the other hand, the high priority of Talmud Torah. Um, and then the question becomes, like, can, if you have, you know, which, if you're married, are you allowed to set aside or to make second in priority your obligations to your wife and kids? And the way at least Rashi reads this, that's essentially the debate of Bavol and Eretz Yisrael, which determines whether you can get married first or have to wait to get married. Yes. So I was also wondering, you mentioned the priority of the, the Talmud Torah. So, you know, if he can do it on his own, you know, does, does your does the father's obligation end at some point? Like All right, we're, we'll get to We're going to get back to the father's obligation. We're not there. We're not there. talking about that right now. Anyway, I did want to share. So that's a great question, as I said, which has broader implications about prioritizing responsibility, attitude towards marriage between Babel and Eretz Yisrael, and so on. Um, now, I want to say also just a nice, acute line that uh, my brother, who's uh, who is, uh, in the mirror, told me. So uh, just to tell you the yeshiva humor. Anyway, apparently there's a story that in uh, Volozhin, you know, when uh, students were learning, you know, uh, Reb Chaim, uh, you know, the you know Reb Chaim of Brisk, you know, was obviously the you know Rosh Hashiva Volozhin would like circulate around, to, like you know, listen into the students as they were learning the Chavruta, you know. So he'd go over to a Chavruta and they were like in learning, and he'd like put his arm around like the guy, and by listening in, of course, the kids, the kids were like terrified, right? So another so another Rosh Hashiva walked by and he says, Reb Chaim Betzavarov Yasa <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's the only you have to be very much of an insider to get that joke. Yes, <laughs> uh, no, it, uh, we we did that already. Yeah, I have a, a very simple question from what Rashi says here on this section. Yeah, go to Eretz Yisrael and learn Mishnayot. Um, like, is there anything to say about that? Like, how would he get that from? Like, the Egeret? Like, how would he know what the current? And there's no thought about South Georgia. Yeah, I don't know why he mentioned. Uh, yeah, you know, it's so striking, right? Like, really, it goes just a little in the Yeah, well, maybe he said because Rabbi Yochanan is a first generation Amora, so he assumes that. But, right. but of course, but even in the period of the Tanaim, we assumed that there was still the <laughs> debate and analysis or whatever just wasn't recorded. But he, I was wondering about that too. He might say because Rabbi Yochanan, right? I, I thought maybe because Rabbi Yochanan. 
Avram is the first generation of Mora. Okay, let's continue. Now, because we're dealing with this, so we really were talking about Talmud Torah, but, uh, you know, but maybe because we're somewhat situated in Masechus Kiddushin, and because, you know, this is, as we see till today, the ongoing challenge. If you make Torah, which is this con- all-consuming, resp- you know, sort of mitzvah, which we have not explained that that's true about it, right? We started with it just as an obligation of, like, primary education of father to child, son. But anyway, if it's this all-consuming mitzvah, you know, and then how does that play out in terms of a man's responsibility to his family, right? And that's like, you know, that's still today. Like, you know, in Kolel and all these places where the guys sit and they spend coal the whole time and they're not, you know, and they're not sort of being, taking parental responsibility so much and, and raise, you know, and, 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 and uh, you know, earning the money, etc. Um, and there have been different attitudes. You know, Rambam, on the other hand, writes very sharply in Parish Mishnayat and elsewhere, you know, it's in the, on the Mishnah and Pirkei Avos about Al-Tasim Kardom Lachterbo, don't make the Torah a shovel to dig with it. He says, like, people that go ahead and think that because they're learning Torah, they can have the Tzibor support them. You know, he says it's, like, horrific and, like, and, and that if you look in the Gemara, everybody had a Parnassa and you can't be supported by the community. Now, that's in terms of support by the community. Okay, you know, what you have, you have nowadays, like, sometimes you have the father-in-law supporting, but often you have the wives going out and supporting, which is exactly the dynamic in the Gemara, right? And that's exactly the question, like, and that seems to have been a major issue between Bavel and Eretz Yisrael, whether that was a legitimate trade-off for the sake of Talmud Torah, or your family obligations come first. Okay, so now, within that context of Talmud Torah and marriage, we have the Gemara continuing, or the general issue about marriage, maybe, because of of getting married for the Yetzir Hara reasons. Well, we haven't said that, but we said if you need to get married. So let's take a look at the Gemara. So, Mishtabach le Rav was praising, uh, was, was talking to Rav Huna and, pray, and, 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 and singing the praises to Rav Hamnuna, about Rav Hamnuna. Tadam Gadolhu, oh, this Rav Hamnuna, you won't believe it, he's such a huge Talmud Chacham. Amalei, so Rav Huna said to Rav Chizda, Yadcha, next time he uh, happens by you, bring him, bring him to me, I'd like to see him. So Kiasa, so he brought him to him, so Rav, Rav Huna was presented to Rav, Rav Hamnuna was presented to Rav Huna. Chaz yes, Rav Huna saw him, he wasn't wearing a, a like a type of a scarf around his head which was a uh, a turban which was something that was worn by married men so Amarle my time a little priest of Sudra why are you not wearing this uh, this scarf Amarle because I'm not married so he turned his face away from him he refused to look at him Amarle Chazi pay, pay attention I won't see you or I, you know you won't see my face until you get married I refuse to look at you until you get married okay now why was he so strict? Ravuna is going to his reasoning to Amar ben If a man is twenty years old and has not yet gotten married, all of his days are in sin. Literally, he's in sin. He's sinning. He's constantly besieged by sexual thought. Up till twenty years old, God is sort of waiting. No, no, you're seventeen already. Still not married. Eighteen. 19 until you're 20 he's waiting once he gets 20 and you're still not married let your bones be blasted I can't believe you're already 20 and not married exactly you know why I'm at a higher like religious level than my colleagues Um, I got married at the age of 16 so therefore that satisfied all of my Yetzirah outlet you know Uh, 
but if I got married at 14, and then I would have totally been in you know, control of my sexual desire. I would have said to the Satan, arrows in your eyes. Okay, now, um, now what, I, what again you see here is that this is very much all Bavel and Morayim, and all pushing for an early age for marriage. Why? Because of the idea of marriage as an outlet for your sexual thoughts and desires. Okay, so very much this sort of instrumental serving the man's needs type of an approach towards marriage, right? Not this like intrinsic good of bringing man and woman together. And if you're getting married at a young age, obviously you're getting married before you're learning Torah at a serious high level. So again, very consistent, right, with what we said before. Interestingly, Rambam uses this as opposed to that this is really not a halacha in Hilchot Kiddushin, as it were, like in the, in the midst of getting married. This is more halacha in like Hirure Azeira halachas. You know, Rambam in, makes a part of Hilchos Kiddushin. And if you take a look at Rambam, here I'll just pull it up for you because now I got everything on my phone. Right? Rambam basically says, and Rambam comes up with a number 17 somehow, um, and Rambam says the following. Um, what? Yeah, basically. The Rambam says the following. He says, um, I'll read you the Rambam. Rambam says, um, so he's talking in the context of Puravu. When is a man obligated to start having kids? Whatever. From 17. Rambam also says that myth of having kids is only in the context of marriage. So he starts with 17. Not clear where he gets that from. That wasn't a number in this Gemara. But once you hit 20 years, which was the number in our Gemara, you're actively negating a positive intention you're not being mekayin which is a very bizarre idea right because you would think as long as the guy's going to have kids in his life he's not, there's not a point where he's mevatel he's only mevatel if he passes the point of no return right you're maybe postponing you're pushing it off to a later time the Raman frames it as no you basically up till 20 is when after 20 you're considered to be mevatel the mitzvah and then he says imaya osek betorah betorud vaya mityaremi lisa yishar kadeshali yitrach but if you were learning Torah and you were afraid that getting married would take you away because of support of, of, of having to earn a living, then Okay, so he says, why are you allowed to post push off marriage? Because you're learning Torah, But basically the Ramam introduces an idea that if you're not married by twenty, it's like an actual bittle of the mitzvah say, which is strange from two perspectives. Number one, this Gemara was only concerned about about Hirhurim. It wasn't concerned about a bittle mitzvah. Number two, again, what's the model to talk about it as a bitl mitzvah as opposed to just postponing the mitzvah um, and it's uh, you know obviously the fact is that anybody who doesn't get married nowadays at 20, at 20 any community that isn't pushing you know its kids to get married at the age of 20 is either effectively poskening not like the Rambam um, or saying that even this concept of bitl mitzvah you know doesn't exist if you, you, it's not yet the right time like the right time is part of framing right when that mitzvah is it's very relevant also in discussions about having kids because some people say that once you're married 
you can't use like birth control you know even if you're young and you have plenty of time etc you can't use birth control until you've had two kids because the Ramam says that you're being mevatel the mitzvah if you don't you know take care of it right away the funny thing is is nobody was telling me I was being mevatel the mitzvah when I, till I wait, when I waited till 25 to get married so now that I'm married at 25 why are you telling me I'm mevatel the mitzvah if I'm waiting a few more years to have kids so anyway this language that the Ramam uses that it's bitul mitzvah of pur vu once you hit the age of 20 is a very strange concept that the Ramam introduces and a little bit hinting on this Gemara yes yeah, I understand that there's a concept of Papasita but if they're going to be leaving their family and going away for a long time to Eretz Yisrael right are there not going to be any Yohurim so that's what Tosas asks Tosas says I don't understand how do you think that solved the Yohurim problem but you know it does you know you come home for periods in between or whatever and there is a Papasita and then you know it's at least better than the alternative yes Charlie yeah. so this whether you should hurry up to do the Mitzvah at the earliest time that affects other things like should we all be dubbing Shatri at dawn right so normally there's an idea of Zrizim but the funny thing is Raman uses the phrase Dittal Mitzvah okay back to the Gemara that's a Talmudic phrase Dittal Mitzvah no I mean it is in other contexts but not in this context I'm a little of nothing Rav says Rav Nosson by Ami Adidah for you, I don't know how to pronounce that word, your son, we should serve the Ad Esrim, the Ad Esrim the Tarti. Have your, basically, your, your, you know, your arm around your son, or your, you know, the yoke, your weight on your son's neck, um, until, from 16 to 22. Now, Rashi has two interpretations. Either it means to pressure him to get married, or just in general means to, like, try to give him, like, good Musa and education. Of course, Sixteen to start giving Musa at sixteen, and you know, start giving moral education seems a little late. Although Rashi prefers that read to the marriage read, although the marriage read seems much more consistent with what we just said. So anyway, we'll read it the marriage way. You know, try to keep the pressure on your son's back from the age of sixteen to twenty-two. The mitamni shreyad esin barba eighteen to twenty-four. Again, notice seventeen isn't there. Anyway, because presumably less of that would be too young, you know, to push him to get married, and more than that would actually be like at a certain point it's too like yeah like by that stage you know it's going to be counterproductive you know start nudge, stop nudging your kid to get married after a certain age it's not doing any good okay <laughs> what I'm not listening to you after those certain age right and Rashi also says it's based on another Gemara which says that if you try to you know don't give your son too many temptations to rebel and it's like Lisna Iver of him being Mavatul the Mitzvah like Kibbutz aim or whatever <laughs> okay so the Moses Kitanai like a debate of Tanaim Chanoch Lenara Pidarcho train the child according to his path from 16 to 22 so Rashi because it says Chanoch seems to be a general idea of Chinoch so maybe we're talking more broadly about upbringing bringing your child up but again the context and the ages make it sound like we're talking very much about trying to get him married off which by the way is the next thing that we're going to be talking about is the father's obligation to marry off the son okay well we're going to see about that now back to Talmud Torah that was a digression you know marriage is coming up but it was the intersection back to Talmud Torah and here we get back to defining what do we mean by Talmud Torah and what do we mean by the father's obligation until what point is a person obligated like an example would be Zul 
Shaulun ben Dan, certain person that they knew, of very biblical names, but a person who was known at that time. Shalindo Abi Aviv, his grandfather, taught him Mikra, Umishna, Tanakh, Mishnayot, the Talmud, the Talmud, right, the analysis of it, even though there wasn't like the Vilna Shas yet. Halachos, Valgados, he taught him everything. So basically the answer is you've got to teach your son Kola Torah Kula. What's the difference okay. between Talmud and Halacha and Agados? Halachot are either Halachot Sukkot, okay. okay, and Agadot are stories, are Agadot. The Talmud is Shaklavatari. Exactly. Okay. Mesa, I'll ask you on this. We have a bright, a lindo mikra, en malamdo mishnah. Once you learn Tarim Tanakh, you don't have an obligation to teach beyond that, to teach him even mishnah, which is a big chidish. Your whole obligation is to teach your kid Tanakh. You don't even have to teach him like basic rabbinic literature, okay, or, you know, maybe even halacha, which is what? You know, anyway, that's surprising. I mean, certainly, when the Pasuk says, the Torah is talking about about Mikra, that's all. <laughs> you know. So anyway, that's, that's all. That's all there was at the time that that Pesach was given. Okay. Okay. So anyway, so it says. Uh, of course, in addition to the Torah of Bapeh, that was at yeah, the time. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Anyway, so that says like this. Okay. Um, Right, exactly. Okay. Where were we? Not only that, Mikra is only Torah. It's not even the Vim and Ksuvim. So that's your only obligation. So the verse says, Like Zulim Bindan, but not totally like him. No, no. The reason we were talking about Zulim Bindan was not to talk about the scope of the information that was taught. We were talking about until how far do you have to teach, meaning that the obligation even extends from grandfathers to grandchildren. The how far means generationally how far. We're going to talk about that. But not how much content. Okay? The locus will the Iluhasa, Mikra, Mishnah, Talmud, Halacha. So I've got to there with everything. The Iluhasa, Mikra, Levad. Here it's enough to teach him just Torah. I mean your grandchildren, child, just, to- just Mikra, not your son. No, 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 no. Because the previous writer was about your son. No, the Zulim was just an example that the obligation extends to grandchildren. But the content, according to at least this approach and this writer, is only Mikra. Which is, again, quite shocking. So you're telling me the Chiv of Talmud Torah is limited to Mikra? So again, it seems like what we're talking here is the parental obligation of education is like provide a primary education. That is not to be understood as the obligation an individual has in terms of their own Talmud Torah, which is like vast, right? You're supposed to try to learn as much. Well, I mean, the question exactly what the parameters are. Is it just Kriyas Shemashachit for Arvis? Is it just learning a little bit every day? Am I supposed to master the entire, you know, corpus? But certainly my own obligation of Talmud Torah is obviously clearly, you know, generally understood as independent of my father's obligation to teach me and much larger. So when the Breit has said before, if the father doesn't teach the son, the son has to teach himself, presumably there we were talking about a primary education. The obligation on primary education is father to son, but if he didn't provide it, the son provides himself. But presumably, the larger obligation of Talmud Torah is presumably independent. Although, again, it didn't exactly fit the stories before, it is a complicated thing that the Gemara doesn't exactly figure out how all the pieces fit together in the puzzle. Mm-hmm. Yes, Charlie. At the time this was written, the only part of this rule written down was Nikra. Okay. All the rest of it would have been quite difficult. Well, why? That was an oral tradition. Why did you need something? It's only you that is so much linked to a written culture that you think it's difficult to teach things if they're not written down. Well, also, if the, if the father had gone to the issue. Oh, well, that's true. The, the fact that if the father was not knowledgeable, then he wouldn't have the wherewithal. Yeah. Oh, that's an interesting point. So you're saying maybe the reason to limit the father's obligation to Mikra is not just that it's an obligation fundamentally about, like, primary education, but also it's accessible to everybody. 
that's a very interesting thought, right? Because anything beyond Mikra, you yourself would have to have a good education to have that knowledge, because it would not be written. That's an interesting thought. Okay, so now the Gemara says like this. Um, is the grandfather really obligated? That time we thought in the Brisa, you shall teach your sons, not your grandsons. You shall teach your children and your children's children, or your sons and your sons' sons, the day you stood at Harsinai. Lomancha to tell you, if you teach your son, um, so obviously education has this tremendous ripple effect. If you raise your sons and make them or at least give them a good strong Torah education, then they'll pass that down to their children and their children to their children. And it's like you've taught all future generations Torah. Right? Very powerful idea. So that's but your obligation is only to your son, but it will translate into future generations. Okay? So how do you say that it's an obligation to teach grandchildren? Who's the Amar Kiaitana? He holds like the other Tana. The Tana is on the Brice of Limanatem Osam Sbnechem, Eli Albanechem. I only know your sons. Bnebanechem, I only know your grandsons. Tamad Lamar, Vodatam Levnechem, Vanecha. The other possibly you shall inform your sons and your sons' sons. Inkain Matam Lomar Bnechem. So why does the first verse say just your sons? Bnechem, the Lob no Sechem. Ah, like we said yesterday, grandsons are, in, are included, daughters are excluded. Okay. I'm ready to show Ben Levi. So now we're going to focus on grandsons. Anybody who teaches his grandson Torah, the Torah treats him like he received it from Harsinai. You shall inform your sons and grandsons. The day you stood at Harsinai. Now it's interesting. You would have thought. So the he. Well, okay. So obviously you would think like it's the grandson. I mean, the grammar is the he is the teacher, the grandfather. But the logic, you would say it's the grandson. If I, the grandson, am receiving it from my grandfather, it's reaching back to future generations and it models for me, past generations, thank you, and it models for me this unbroken chain. But I wonder if you could say the same about the grandfather. If I see it as my responsibility to pass it down further down in the chain, then that connects also makes me see that I'm part of an unbroken chain and makes me feel my sense of being part of a chain that reached all the way back. So... Well, because my son is just like a direct obligation. I do a lot of things for my kids. I raise my kids. I give them an education. Right? I marry them off. But if I teach my grandchildren, that shows that the obligation is one that goes throughout generations. And the passing down of Torah is a process that, you know, continues throughout generations. So it also positions me that way vis-a-vis prior generations. I think it's possible to read it that way. So there's a link that you would probably know. Right. So it establishes that idea more strongly. You know, after that, you're going to you're probably dead. <laughs> right, no, let me say you don't be getting it from writing or something. Right, right, right. Some other people. Right, it's more personal. Exactly. Okay, so um, all right. So now the Gemara continues. Rabbi Chiba Ava Azchachel Rabbi Yosho Ben Levi the Shadi Disna Areshe the Kamanti Leil Yenuka Udeknishta. So Rabbi Chiba Ava found Rabbi Yosho Ben Levi that he put like a, a handkerchief on his head. He didn't put the proper suda. Remember the suda from before picking up on that theme. So a good you know a rub doesn't go out from the other house without a nice you know a turban on his head. But he would just threw a shmata on his head in order when it was time to take his kid to school. Okay and. Um, 
um, uh, where was it? Uh, and he took the kid, the Beit Nishka, to the to to to, to the to the show where they had like cheder. So people said to him, "What is this? Why do you run out of your house with just throwing a shmat on your head? You didn't put on a proper headdress." Is it is it trivial? What's meant in what the pasuk says? You shall inform your children. The day you stood before Hashem at Har Sinai. No, well, no, meaning that I cannot trivialize. Oh, you know, so what? So your kid's a little late to cheder, you know, or you know, or maybe let the mother take him. No. This is, uh, you know, even teaching the basic primary education, providing your kids, is part of being part of this tradition that goes down to our Sinai, receiving it from the previous generation, passing it on to the next. So I'm going to rush to make sure that I'm going to take care of it and get my kid to school on time. Which, by the way, is interesting, right? Because, again, I wonder, one wonders if it's playing off on the handkerchief on the head that wasn't on the head before because of the guy who was maybe like, lear- you know, uh, you know uh, learning Torah and not getting married. And that was the Bavli's approach, like, get married first, and here's the guy, it's Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi, which is Eretz Yisrael, right, um, and he actually is taking care of his parental obligations, you know, and not being so careful about the handkerchief on his head, as it were, so it seems like it might be a playoff on that. Do yeah. you have anything else to say about this suda on the head? Now, is it a sign of being uh, a rov or a chacham? Is it a sign of being married? It seems like it's both. It seems like it's both. Yes. Yes. It seems like it's both. Um, you know, I don't know if it was a different type of a headwear or whatever, but yes, it does seem it's a certain status size, both of a Talmud Chacham and of and of a married man. Okay. Now the Gemara continues. Amarav Safra, Mishum Rabbi Yosheb Ben Chan... What? Oh, I'm sorry. Thank you, thank you. Mikan Ve'elach, Rabbi Chibar Ava, from that point on, Rabbi Chibar Ava, who was questioning the behavior of Rabbi Yosheb Ben Levi, lo time utza, he would not even eat like a little bit of uh, meat in the morning. Interesting, they eat meat in the morning. You know, I always grew up saying, you know, that's not, not yeah. something Jews do. That's, yeah, you know, what, bacon in the morning, whatever. Anyway, he wouldn't have meat in the morning. Ademikli, until he would uh, teach a child, well, not clear if it's his child, but anyway, some psukim, again, we're at basic mikra, okay, mostly, not only have him chazer what he learned the previous day, do a little extra teaching, you know, have the kid read over the psukim that they learned yesterday and teach him one more pasuk. So he would, you know, make sure to first do, so, you know, to first uh, do this as a as primary obligation before he did anything else. Rabba Barafuna lotaim umtsa de midrasha. He wouldn't have a little bit to eat until he brought the kid to the base medrash. Okay, Allah suffer me Yeshua maybe Yeshua ben Chanania. Mind what's meant by the verse? The shinantem levanecha, you shall uh, articulate them. The word shinantem, like or you know, shall repeat them, articulate them to your children, to your sons. I'll take you shinantem ela v'shilashta. Okay, so Rashi says he could have said What does Rashi say? He could have said v'shanitem. So somehow v'shinantem, the double nun is telling. You like the word shani, but I read to the word more than two, three times. And maybe the word, I don't know, shana here also. A person should divide his years into three. A third of your life devoted to to psukim, a third to mission, a third to gemara. So the gemara says, How do you know how long you're going to live? That you can divide your life that way. No, divide your day that way. Okay? So it's Presumably means, which could mean divide every day, three, you know, X, three hours to this, three hours to that, three hours, or Rashi says, uh, means like within the week, you know, two days a week for Mikra, two days for Mishnah, two days for Gemara, shop if you take off or something, or you do Chazara, 
Okay. So the Gemara says, Lefikach Niku. Now, the next point is a different point. Now, if you take a look, Tosa says the following. Look at Tosa. Rochikli Yome, Pirish Pekuntis, Yimeha Shabbat, Kolomachneyami, Mikrashneyami, Mishashayami, Gemara. Filoni Yirid, Dinkena Katiavi Matilamifach, Miodea Kamachai. How do you know? Maybe you'll die in the middle of a week. And you won't have been Yotse that last week, having divided it into three. No. Anyway, Tosa says, Venerali Lefarish, Pecho Yom, Yom, Atzmo, Yeshalesh. Every day, a third this, a third that. Al Kain Tikin Beseder, Rev Amram Gaon, Kamosh Anu Nogim Bechoyom, Kodim Psuke de Zimra, Lomer Mikro Mishnah Begemara. Some people have this, right? That in learning before Psuke de Zimra, you know, some people do like a little bit of Parsha, a little Mishnah, and a little line of Gemara. So every day you're learning, it's not exactly dividing a third of the day, but depending if you're working all day, maybe it's dividing the amount of available time you have. What? Maybe it's not in the middle. I know. At a certain point, you can't be too, you, you got it, you know, you, <laughs> you can't be over, but you, I guess you feel you're as precise as you can be. Maybe, let me just finish. So, now, does that really satisfy? That's like a pro forma little of each. That's not really dividing your day. And we all know that the basic focus of learning, maybe after somebody was a kid, you know, and got their primary education, the basic focus of learning was always Gemara. So, how do you justify that? So, Tosu says, it's called the Babylonian Talmud. Why? Because it's, it's mixed together with so many different things. The Mikra, the Mishnah, the Gemara. The Gemara's Bava, Ah, you learn the Bavli, and that gets you Mikra and Mishnah. You, you learn a Mishnah, you quote some Brightas. Every now and then you quote a Pusuk. Like somebody says, Oh, yeah, it's a Pusuk in Baba Basra somewhere. So that's how you get you know, That's how you get it all. So that's how you're Yotse this Gemara. Now, the Rambam in Hilchus Torah has a, a, a very interesting Rambam. The Rambam says the following. This tended to be, and I don't remember off the top of my head all the specifics of it, but this actually was a big issue of obviously an educational issue that throughout the ages, you know, A, just you pay, try to satisfy this structure of the Gemara, number one, and number two, how do you interpret it, right, and different educational philosophies. So the Rambam, anyway, says, Perak Aleph, Halacha, Hilchus, Talmud Torah, Halacha, Yud Aleph, the Rambam says like this, You have to divide it into thirds. Shlish Petara, Shabachsav, Shlish Petara, Shabachsav, Shlish, Yavin, Yaskil, Acharita, Varmishito. So the Rambam says, Ritor Shabachsav, apparently, the received traditions, and and that's Mishnah. According to Mishnah, it's not just Tanaitic material, it's any part of the received traditions. And the last third is your own analysis. Okay? How, what does this mean to divide your day into thirds? Let's say you had a, you had a trade. So, Solo shows beyond, and you spend three hours a day at your trade. Okay, Batarateisha, so you had nine hours a day left for learning Torah. Osanateisha, Kori Bisholosh, Ben Batarash, Abhsav, Ubisholosh, Ben Batarash, Abhsav, Bisholosh, Acharit, Acherot, Mitbonim, Batatol, Avin, Davar, Davar, etc., etc., etc. Then the Ramam says like this. Now, that's so taking the Gemara very literally, but really? So my whole life I'm supposed to spend a third of my day in Mikra and a third in Mishnah? So then the Ramam modifies the Gemara in the following way. And the Ramam says, 
says, That's when you are doing your primary education. Okay? When you're just getting started. Oh, well, here, if you're working, yeah. you know, well, I mean, what, 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 you know, what, where, where were you educated by your father as a kid? But anyway, when you're still establishing your basic knowledge base and your skills, okay? Once you know Tanakh and once you know the traditions, okay, then you can be teamizumanim So occasionally you review it. You know, you, you review the stuff that you already know, the and But all of your real emphasis goes in learning Gemara. So in the end, it becomes very similar to Tosos. You spend all your time learning Gemara, which is basically the ethos of the Gemara, right? But the Raman satisfies the idea of a third by putting that towards when you're still growing and developing your skills and so on. Yes, Rabbi Dov. Uh, I, yeah, I, I thought about how to get the third. Yeah. So it's like there are three nuns? Oh, that's interesting. Okay. All right. Back to the Gemara. Um, right, well, that's always so ironic because everybody quotes the Ramah. Oh, you see, the Ramah thinks that even if you have a partner, you should only see the other day. If you read the Ramah's letter that he writes towards, you know, it was, it was true, it was towards the end of his life, but when he was as a doctor and he was basically saying exactly, he speaks about his normal day, he didn't, ha- like, he didn't have time to say Kriya Shema almost, you know? <laughs> the only time he says, the only time he says, I get to learn is like for an hour on Shabbos, you know? <laughs> so anyway, all right, anyway, the Gemara says like this. Um, all right, uh, so, uh, okay, now the Lefikach is a very strange Lefikach because it doesn't seem to be connected at all to the theme or something of the previous teaching. And Rashi says this is a Milsach Rishi. Anyway, Lefikach Nikru Yishonim Sofrim. The, uh, oh, the, er, the earliest sages were called Sofrim. They would count all of the letters in the Torah. Maybe because we're dealing with a third and dividing. I don't know where, where, what the link is here. Anyway, the big Vav in is half of the letters in the Sefer Torah. The Rosh Torah, when it says, we just had this, the Rosh Torah Moshe, that's exactly half of the words in the Torah. Which is also just, we just had. Okay. Is that's half of the psukim. Okay, your kasemene yechazir mi yaar. Now this pasuk in Tehillim that a uh, the uh, the whatever the 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 pig will uh, will will um, you know uh, uh, consume it like uh, they'll be consumed like a pig in the in the in the in the, in the uh, forest. Ayin the yaar the ayin of yaar ketzion shel Tehillim is half of Tehillim in letters. So who yerachun yechaper avon and that pasuk in Tehillim ketzion the psukim is half of the psukim in Tehillim. Now the problem with so many of these is that it doesn't work. Okay, that based on our countings and Do whatever it doesn't work. work. What? Do any of them work? I don't know. Some of them are very off. So, by Rav Yosef. So Rav Yosef asks, Vav dikachon mehaigis or mehaigisa? Is the Vav which half of the place? Maybe it's the exact middle. Maybe there's an odd number of letters. But anyway, is it the exact middle letter or which side of the divide is it on? Amalei, nesi sefetor v'im nino. Why don't let's look at a sefetor and count the letters? So the Lord says, no. Milo amar rabba barchana lo zodim yishamach yiviyu sefetor mena'um. Isn't there another case where they had a question and they got out the sefetor and counted the letters. Rashi says we don't know what that other case was. Okay, so, the uh, so why do you have to ask what the vav is? Let's just let's just do it. Let's try figure it out. I'm a lay. No, in the earlier generations, they knew 
whether the letter, words were written with whole or lacking, like was it Aaron written with a vav or without a vav, you know? So the, and therefore they had a precise letters of the Sefer Torah. Anamobakin, we don't, our Sefer Torah might not be exactly precise in Yechesef Yechesef. So there goes all the Bible codes, because the Gemara says here that even at the time of the Amorayim, they didn't have a precise knowledge of what every letter was. Okay? And again, I, but even with that, it's not enough clear, you know, it was the period of the, it was the Ben Asher family, which was what, 5th century, 6th century? Yeah, something, right, that they were the ones, that they were the, um, you know, the, the Masora, Masorites, that they really did count every single letter and cataloged it, so that that kept a very fixed text of the Torah, you know, because they cataloged exactly everything, um, but that was only starting like the 6th century or something like that. Um, so, you know, after this, so at this stage, there were still variant, a lot of variants, but, with, but nevertheless, a lot of these, you know, these numbers are very off. Um, so I don't know how it's really explained how off they got. There's another family too. There was like several master. Oh, were there? Uh huh. Okay. So um, by the way, Rosh, by the way, Tosos has an interesting Tosos about Sofrim. If you look at Tosos, because not like what the Gemara, the Gemara's counting about counting letters of Psukim, but look at Tosos Nikru Sofrim, because like the early generations, right? We say Divrei Sofrim, right? It's a way of referring to the very early generations of rabbis. So this Gemara says because they would be counting the words of the Torah. But Tosos has another interesting Torah Shabbat Pet comment on this. Tosos says, We're referring to the Pasuk by, you know, that refers to the, a family of scribes. And that's the early, sort of, you know, early pre, like pre-Rabbinic uh, sort of generation. That Sofim was also ascribed to the early rabbis. They assign numbers to things. What does that mean? Not to Pesukim. Right, so the idea of trying to organize information by, by clearly numbering how many ways yeah, this is done, right, how many, say, right, yeah, so, but that, yeah, that's different, but this is like, you know, cataloging the, 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 the sort of the laws, okay, so it's a nice way of organizing information. Interesting also, like, when does, you know, those Mishnayot of numbers saying that that came at an early stage in terms of organizing Torah Shabbat information? Uh, well, that's, I mean, that's, uh, that's interpreted, yeah, or it's interpreted to mean, I think, descendants of Yisro and so on, through Chazal, that's what Chazal interpreted. Anyway, back to the Gemara. The Gemara says like this. Um, by Rav Yosef, Rav Yosef asked, six lines from the bottom. V'yit kalach, when it says choshe, which we says is half the term psukim, mehagisa mehagisa, which side of the divide is it on? So, and here you can't say, you could say we might not know extra letters, but presumably we know how to divide the psukim, so why don't we let you know, so, amalei abaye, psukim so yeah, there we should be able to find an answer. Let's count psukim, and presumably we know where the psukim are divided. So the Gemara says, psukim no, we might not know exactly where the psukim are divided. The Pasuk we have is one Pasuk in Eretz Yisrael, they divide it into three Pasukim. What is it? So presumably you could put a, an end of a Pasuk there. Is presumably another one. Is an interesting way to start a Pasuk. So they divide that into three Pasukim. Okay, so yeah, there could be a debate also about how to count the Pasukim. Okay, Tanu Rabbanan. 
Chalashid Afi Mushmona Meyot Vishmoni Mushmona Psukim Havi Psuke Sefer Torah. 5,888 are the Psukim of the Sefer Torah. Of course, in our counting, it's 5,400 and, uh, um, 5,845. So we're off by about 40 or so. Okay. Um, yes, I'll have Tilim. Tilim is more Psukim. Shmona Chas, um, Shmona. Eight more Psukim. Of course, Tosa says, if you look at this little Tosa, it's higher up in the dot in the bracket. Yes, I'll have Tilim Shmona. Eight more Psukim than in the Torah. Tosa says, Tema. Even if you took all the words of the Ptilim and made a Pasuk out of every three words, okay, he says, You would not have as many Psukim as in the Chumash. So what does the Gemara mean? The Psukim has eight more, Tilim has eight more Psukim than the Chumash. Okay? Anyway, I know, was eight fewer than the Chumash. Okay. And I just have to tell you one more just a really funny story which is about this, uh, about Darosh Darosh Mikan, Darosh Mikan. So that pus, that that pus that comes up in uh, Shmini, yeah. and uh, this year, you know, Shmini, we, we're, we're earlier earlier in the parshiot than we would normally be in the year. But often Shmini is right around Pesach. So somebody told me that he was once in a show, which was like, you know, it was the Shabbos. Cholamoy Pesach. No, it was Shabbos. No, Cholamoy is a separate part. Shabbos Motzei Pesach. You know, at the end of at the end of it, that was Parshat Shmini. Right, it was now after like this whole big yuntiv of Pesach, three day yuntiv at the end. Right, everybody was like, out, you know, exhausted out of show. Nobody was re- nobody wanted to hear like the rabbi's sermon. You know, by the by the Shabbos last But anyway, so it's Parshat Shmini. So the rabbi gets up and he tells the joke. You know, the joke about the Hasidim that are comparing how great the rabbi is. You know, my rabbi is so great. He was walking home one day and it was. And it was like, you know, raining. And he said, Vasarahin, Vasarahair. And the water split. And he walked dry. It was dry. And they said, well, my rabbi, he was walking, you know, he came to a river. He said, Vasarahin, Vasarahair. And he walked through the mountain. He said, ah, it's nothing. My rabbi's so great. One day he was walking and it was Shabbos. And he sat on the ground. He saw a $20 bill. $20. So what did he do? He said, Shabbosahin, Shabbosahair. And he picked up the $20. So everybody cracks up. So then the rabbi says, this week's Parsha, we read the eighth year of Chatas, the Rosh Tarash Moshev, And the Messiah teaches us, Chatsi you know, the Mealim is half the Torah in the words, Darosh Mikan, Vidarosh Mikan. Drushahin, Drushahair, Musaf starts on page 360. <laughs> 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 they renewed his context on that day. All right, <laughs> All right so now the word says like this. Okay. Um, Tanu Rabbanan, Vishinantam. Okay, you, you, you shall Vishinantam Livanacha. You shall teach them. You shall repeat them. You should articulate them. So here it reads it as articulate. The words of Torah should be sharp, like Shinun is like sharp, right? To, um, they should be sharp in your mouth. Somebody asks you something, don't hesitate and stumble over it. They should be so accessible to you that you should have the answers at the tip of your tongue. Shanamar, that's how you have to learn Torah. Shanamar, emor lechachma achotiyat. Say to b'schachma, you are my sister. You should know it as well as you know your sister, as another drush, as well as you know your sister is forbidden to you. Okay, the Omer, sharimo etzba otecha. Tie them on your fingers. Write them on, on, you know, on the chambers of your hearts. They should be on, you know, in, they should be completely internalized and, uh, you know, you know, and in your blood. Like arrows, again, the idea of sharpness, right, in the hands of the of of uh, of the of the of the um, a hero of the of the um, whatever the, the warrior. So are the 
sons of the youth. Rashi says it means that the um, like your 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 learning is called your children. Also, maybe the learning that you do when you're young is stuff that you re- really remember is very sharp. The arrows of the uh, of the uh, no of the um, uh, Oh, once again, not the hero, what's the word for Gibor? Of the courageous, of uh, the uh, warrior, are sharp. Your arrows are sharp, nations will fall below you. And praise the man that fills his quiver with these arrows, that you know all your Torah and you know your knowledge, you know you have all this Torah under your belt and it's sharp. You will not be embarrassed when you speak with the enemies in the gate, like when you talk Torah, you know, and argue Torah with people. Now, what does it mean, enemies? My etoizim b'shar. Amar Rebbe Chia Bar Ava, afilu ha'avu b'no harav v'talmido, even father and son and student and master, which normally you have to show deference to your master and to your father, and nevertheless, but when you're oskim b'torah b'shar echad, when they're in the gates of Torah, you know, they're in the one house and arguing in Torah, nasim oivim zet zet. They can, they're, they're like, becomes enemies. Everybody is fighting for, you know, arguing and yelling. You're having a loud base medrash and, you know, you know, how can you say such a thing? It doesn't make any sense. And so, one, okay, hopefully it's not personal, it's about their ideas. Anyway, the Enim Zazim Yisham, but don't think that that's how it ends, because that the, it's all, you know, it's all the shame Shemayim and in search of truth, so they never, they don't leave and depart their encounter, in the end they become, they love one another, because they're all there for the, to the sake of Talmud Torah. You know, it's Sefer Milchamot Hashem, the Sefer of the fights, you know, the, the wars of God, so Rashi says that's when the wars are, uh, are God are over Sefer or over Torah, you know, or over what's in the Svarim and so on. So at Vahev Basufa, I'll Basufa, and Vahev is written Ahav. So Ahava, love, comes at the end of that type of a war. So this is quite interesting in a number of ways. Number one is, um, is the whole idea that, you know, well, the primary one is that the Torah here is being, you know, this, this uh, uh, violent or militaristic image around Talmud Torah um, Daniel Boyarin wrote about this a lot about you know that normally study is uh, like you know sort of Torah study or whatever that could sort of be seen as a very non-masculine type of an activity a very effemi- you know se- feminine type of a thing and that the rabbis make it extremely masculine right they use all of this you know warrior imagery around it you know and so going out and fighting and the warrior and so on it's interesting because we also just talked about choosing between Torah and marriage and he has another whole discussion about, you know, Torah as the other woman, right? The, the relationship to Torah, you know, and your love for Torah and taking you away. So interesting sort of different metaphors around Talmud Torah. The other interesting thing, of course, is, notice how we've shifted from, oh, your basic obligation is just to learn Mikra, right? You know, or just your fathers to teach you Mikra. And now, of course, we have, you know, this idea of that you have to be Mishinantum to teach you a completely different level of obligation. You know, that you have to have all of this Torah under your belt and it has to be sharp and has to be accessible, right, and all this thing, obviously, you know, um, much more. And how about the fact that the Mark says that you're, right, that you're, you, you should be dividing your days, Mikra, Mishnah, Gemara, like, what is that? Is that a minimum and a maximum? Are those different types of obligations, a primary, t- primary education obligation as opposed to an ongoing, lifelong learning? Not exactly clear how to fit these pieces all together. Um, the last thing I, I have to say, maybe we'll try to read a little bit more, but anyway, it's just all, all my good stories are related to these Gemaras. Anyway, I had so many years ago, you know, this, you know, who said, you know, there's another Gemara that says, right, um, um, uh, what is it, um, uh, um, 
Every day you learn Torah, it should be like something new and exciting and so on. So Hedek HaRusha said to me, That I'm not Mekayim. So anyway, alright. Um, so anyway, let's just read a little bit more in the Gemara. Tanu Rabbanan and a little Agatha here. Visamtam, right? This is the Pesukim of Kriyatma. Visinantam Levanecha Vidibartabam. Visamtam, right? You shall place them as a sign. Sometime a, a complete um, what? What? I'm sorry. Shartam Liotaydecha. Thank you. So it's Visamtam. I'm sorry, right. Okay, sorry. What? Oh, what am I talking about? I'm sorry, thank you. Talk about Mukudad and Basicha. Okay. Thank you. Okay, anyway, sometimes. So a. So a a a a a complete uh, uh, healing or a complete uh, po- uh, potion or um, so it's actually like you know the word would would be a panacea something that uh, that is a full heal that that works under all circumstances that's what the Torah is Nimshel Torah Kisam Chayim the Torah is like a potion of life Mashal Adam Shehikat No Makagdola a person interesting Mashal a person hit his son right with a big smiting and put a, a bandage on the wound. As long as this bandage is on your wound, eat whatever you want, drink whatever you want, all the stuff that's supposed to be bad for wounds, don't worry, this bandage will counteract them as a panacea. You don't have to worry how you're bathing, how you're cold. You don't have to worry about the effect. But if you take it off, then it's going to develop some type of an infection. God I guess that's the smiting. God, the Father, smote and He created the, the, the bandage. So I created the Yitzhahara. That can come and attack you. Okay? But I've also created Torah, which is the, uh, the uh, antidote for the Yitzhahara. If you're learning Torah, then that will, then that will prevent, that will be the, that will be the panacea. That will totally protect you from the influence of the Yitzhahara. Shenemar, haloim teitiv se'et, if you do good, which is meant to be here, learn Torah, you, Rashi says se'et means that you will conquer over the Yitzhahara, you will be lifted over it. But if you don't learn Torah, atem nim sarim biyado, shenemar, lafeta chatat rovet, but it's crouching there by the doorway. It's constantly, like, uh, you know, like, uh, involved in you, it's all focuses on how to try to attack you yeah. and developing schemes, the Yetzirah. If anybody ever read the book uh, The Screwtape Letters by yeah. C.S. Lewis, which is a great book, it's like about like you know Satan giving advice to a little a little imp, yeah. like yeah. a little underling who's trying to seduce you know a, a human being and trying to develop all the schemes and how to work at the seducing him. Anyway, it's constantly figuring out how to uh, scheme against you. It's desires towards you. But you in the end can be victorious over Okay, so we'll pick up tomorrow with this issue about the challenge of the Yetzirah and how the uh, Torah can be the pure antidote uh, for the Yetzirah.